Uh, I decided to call an audible. Uh, we were supposed to do patience and perseverance today, um, and I realized on Thursday that that was wrong, and we should do uh, trust instead and push off patience and perseverance for a couple of weeks, uh, and I'll explain why when we get to it. Um, there's, there is a reason for it. I'm not just being crazy. Uh, but today we're going to talk about trust. Um, we're going to talk about trusting the Lord. But before we get started, why don't we go to the Lord and pray and ask for his help uh, as we come before his word. Almighty God, uh, we give thanks to you that you have given us your word, that you have given us uh, a fountain that we can come and drink from without any price. We can come uh, and quench our thirst for your word and for truth. Uh, may you bless us. May you be with our spirits. May you uh, work in our hearts to hear, to understand, uh, and to conform our minds uh, unto the image of Christ. Lord, bless us as we learn about faith and as we learn about trusting you. Uh, may you confront us where we don't. May you encourage us that we have a free place to go when we are, when we are in doubt. We pray all of this, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, so, a little review. Uh, last week, if you remember, we talked about courage. Um, so, two weeks ago, we talked about what is virtue. Uh, last week, we did our first virtue, which is courage. And if you remember, uh, the theme that we're sticking with for these first few virtues is loving the Lord your God uh, with all of your mind. Uh, so, we talked about how uh, the Lord has called us to love him with all of our mind, with all of our heart, uh, and with all of our life. And so one of the ways that we are called to love him with all of our mind is to have courage. Uh, we read Joshua 1, right? be strong and courageous. Three times God says that to Joshua, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous, be strong and courageous, uh, for I, the Lord your God, am with you. And we saw how um, this is a, a command from the Lord. That we are commanded to have courage. And when we have courage, that means there's no place for fear. Courage uh, shoves fear and uh, uh, despair out of the way. But remember, it's not because we have self-confidence. Uh, courage is trusting in the Lord. It's, it's hearing God's promises, obeying him, uh, and watching what he does. And having courage to know that God is in control, that he is the one doing it. So it's not about... Uh, just do it. It's about God's doing it. Uh, and we are called to have courage in the midst of it. But there's uh, some other ways that we can love the Lord our God uh, with all of our mind. Um, before we jump right into trust, the next virtue, uh, why don't we think a little bit about some ways that we can do this throughout the week, right? In our everyday lives, how can we love the Lord our God with all of our mind? What does that look like? Any thoughts? Study the Word of God, definitely. Pat? Yes, praying. Definitely praying, uh, thinking about the Lord and meditating on His Word. Uh, but what other, like, everyday things, right? Not just reading the Word, but how else can we love Him in our daily lives? Definitely, by, by serving those around us and caring for them. Um, what else? If you think, I'm sorry, Dave? Does it, does it have to do with 
Totally. Yeah. They've, they've said that, well, what about our mindset? Right? What about uh, the lens that we view the world through? Uh, you could call this a worldview. Um, that word was tossed around every five minutes in college, for me at least. Uh, but basically, like, we have a whole way of thinking that is separate from the world, and that affects what we do, what we say, how we feel. Like, all of this is filtered through the worldview of, of Christianity, of, of trusting in the Lord. So that's definitely a way that we love the Lord. Yeah, John. I would add to that, part of that worldview is thankful. That's what the commandments of us. Definitely. If we are thankful, then it develops love and trust and courage. Yeah. It overflows, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So thankfulness is not on the list of virtues, but it definitely could have been where we are commanded to be thankful we are shown so many reasons to be thankful, and then that flows into our, our attitudes towards life. What other ways? There's, there's a few other ways. Will? I think how we spend our time, you know, what we put in front of our eyes and what we listen to and so on. Definitely. Yeah, what, what do we spend our time with? What do we fill ourselves with? If we fill ourselves with junk, is that going to produce good things in us? you eat McDonald's three times a day, seven days a week, are you going to be healthy? No, you're going you're gonna to be really unhealthy. Same thing with your mind. If you fill your mind all the time with junk food, is your mind going to produce good things? No. So filling your mind is also uh, important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. How you view your your work? Do you view your work as this is my job for my gain, um, or is this where the Lord has put me for His purposes, and I'm doing this for His glory? That's that's an intentional way of thinking about your work uh, in your everyday life. Same thing with kids, right? If you view your kids as either through a selfish lens, like these are uh, my kids that I am going to do, I'm going to make them into little me's and they're going to be beautiful and the best kids ever. Um, or are these gifts from God that I am called to love and to serve and to point to Christ um, every day? That's how we are thinking, uh, loving the Lord with our mind and, and thinking rightly about our kids, our work, all that sort of stuff. Um, Here's, here's a way that I don't think has been mentioned yet. What about using your gifts? Right? If, if we are gifted with brains, uh, with the ability to think, uh, to be either rational or artistic, right? how about using those gifts? That's a way that we can love the Lord our God with our minds because he has given us these ways uh, that we operate. It's part of how we're created. We're created to think about things. We're created uh, to, to create to be artistic, uh, to be an intellectual, or to be thoughtful. Um, these are gifts that the Lord has given us, and to use them is a way that we love the Lord our God. Because think about the flip side. If you don't use the gifts that he has given you, if you fill your brain with junk food 24-7, uh, if you never 
you use the gifts he's given you, or you use them for the wrong reasons, is that glorifying to God? Is God pleased when we shut our brains off uh, and watch five hours of Netflix? And believe me, that, to say that is like convicting my own heart because there are definitely ways in our lives where we, we get tired, right? we want to shut our brains off, we want to stop thinking and just be a, a puddle on the floor. Um, but the Lord has given us gifts, given us ways to use our gifts, given us ways even to rest uh, that are more fruitful than simply shutting our brain off and playing video games for 12 hours. Uh, that doesn't mean right, that you have to be smart to glorify God. Nor does that mean you have to be really, uh, really talented artistically for God to be pleased. But to love the Lord your God with all of your mind means to use to the full capacity whatever he has given you for his glory, and that's what he is pleased in. He is pleased when you use what he's given you uh, and when you use it for his glory. Even if you know, you're not as talented as someone else or you're not as smart as someone else or you're not as quick-witted as someone else, still, to use your brain in whatever capacity he's given you is glorifying to him. So that is, that is another way that in our everyday lives we can be loving the Lord, uh, seeking to glorify him. Um, but there's another really important way well, first, before we get to that, um, the, there are some ways that we use our gifts right, in the wrong ways or that we, we have a target, but we miss the target when we're trying to love the Lord. And part of that is we could use our gifts for selfish reasons. Uh, someone mentioned, right, how do you think about work? Is it just a paycheck? Is it just something for your own gain? Uh, or are you using that for God's glory? Uh, we could also waste our gifts. We could not live up to the full capacity that God has given us. Uh, we could cheat and lie and manipulate through life. Uh, we could use our gifts for empty and shallow things. Um, we could hate ourselves or hate what we create simply because it's not as good as someone else's or because it's not up to a standard that we have set in our minds. But that's not what God says. God calls us to love him with what we have uh, and to be thankful for the gifts we have. But one of the biggest ways um, and one of the hardest ways to love the Lord your God with all of your mind is to trust him. It's both... The, the most comforting and amazing thing and the most difficult and, and painful thing to trust God. And we'll talk about why it's painful. Why is it difficult? Um, but this is one of the consistent ways that we can love God uh, every day, day in and day out, is we trust God. Right? We trust God when we go to work. We trust God when our kids are acting out. We trust God when dinner's late. We trust God when there's traffic or when we're just overwhelmed and our lives feel full of bursting and we can't hold everything together. We trust God when we're depressed or when we're joyful. We trust God when everything's going well 
And when everything is awful and disgusting and just it's the worst day ever, but we're called to trust God. So what does Scripture say? What does Scripture say about trusting God? Uh, can you think of any passages uh, that talk about that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and not on your own understanding. Yeah. Yeah, Proverbs 3, classic text, and we'll talk about that text a little bit more. Also, I forgot to mention there are outlines over uh, on that table thingy, um, so if you want an outline, you can grab one. Um, what other scripture passages can you think of? Yeah, trust in the Lord with all your... God is our refuge. Uh, Psalm 37, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. I think that's a wonderful passage, right? Because it says it's not about you acting. God's not looking to you and saying, when you finally act and get your, your life together, then I will come alongside you and, and bless what you're doing. No, first you trust God. Before anything else, and then God will act. Uh, Proverbs 29 The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Uh, that gets at the, the contrast between fearing man and fearing God. Right? If your fear is directed towards a man, uh, that doesn't mean that you're afraid of other people. That means that who are you living for? Who is your ultimate that you are seeking approval from, seeking validation from, seeking purpose from? If it's from other people, what's going to happen? You're going to put all of your identity in what someone else thinks of you. And that's true. We should put our identity in, in what someone else thinks, but just not a person. Just not a human being. It needs to be in God. That is who we put our whole trust in. Yeah, Dave. It is. This is one of the, the virtues that I struggle most with because it means you have to put your, your faith and your hope and your refuge in God completely. Um, and there's always just some part of me that doesn't want to do that, that wants to put it in, in a person or in myself or in my actions or in something that I'm doing with my own hands. Uh, th and for pastors, like, this is... The classic temptation is to trust in yourself. That it's your words who is, that's going to change someone else's life. It's your actions that's going to affect other people. It's, it's what I say today in this lesson that is going to make all of you better people and Christians, and then you're going to come up to me and say, man, you're such a great pastor, right? That's, in my mind, that's what's happening, but it's wrong. It's wrong because that's not trusting God. 
That's not saying God has put me here. He is going to do things. I'm just going to watch uh, and be a part of it. Uh, and that is freeing. It's freeing for your daily lives because then it's, it's not on you. Right? You go to work and what's the fear? I'm not going to do a good enough job or I'm going to get fired or my boss is going to yell at me or, or business is going to go down. I'm sure there's other fears that I'm missing, but what is the answer to those fears? Try harder, work more, work longer hours. No, trust God. Pray more, read his word more, rest in Christ. That's how the scripture pushes us. And Psalms and Proverbs is just full of of either people who are trusting God or commands to trust God or what happens when you trust the Lord. So if we go back to Proverbs 3, uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says this. Uh, Gary mentioned it already, but I'll read it through again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So what does this passage show us? What does it say about trusting the Lord? Obviously, it says to trust the Lord. Um, But how does this teach us about trusting God? What does it teach us about it? Uh, What does it lead to? How does it help us? What are your thoughts? John? Okay, yeah, right? It is, it is one thing to say in your mind, God's in control, I trust him. It's another thing to live that out and to let that guide everything else. What else? Yeah, isn't that interesting, right? Healing to your flesh refreshment to your bones is is proverbs saying that if you're sick and you trust the lord that you'll automatically get better not necessarily but i'm sure you all know someone who has been affected by stress right someone whose whose body just shuts down because of all the amount of stress going on what happens when peace is finally found in trusting the lord their body heals because stress wrecks the body. It's painful and, and poisonous to the body. But it's the reverse. Trusting the Lord is actually healing. It's a, a good thing for your body because your mind affects the rest of you. And when your mind is set on the Lord and trusting God, that actually flows into your physical body. It's weird, and I don't know how to describe it or what the medical stuff is, but it's true. What else? So in verse, in verse 6, um, the, the proverbist says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. What does that mean? What does that mean that if you acknowledge God in all your ways, he will make straight your paths?
Totally. Yeah. That sometimes when we slow down and we, we put God first, the, the path forward becomes clear. Maybe not right away like we want it to be, uh, but the path does grow more clear because we have oriented ourselves in the right direction. Why else do you think that's true? Or what else does this mean? If you acknowledge him, he will make straight your paths. John? Yeah, something that becomes more part of you is when you're thankful, like this, this mindset flows into, okay, God's in control. I need to trust him and watch what he's doing. Pat. It flows right into contentment, doesn't it? Because you, when you're trusting the Lord, you understand, okay, God's in control. That means that what is happening in my life, what I'm going through right now, is not purposeless. It's not, it's not chaos and randomness. God has a, has a purpose. I'm here for a reason. What's happening is not because God hates me. It's actually the opposite. And so if God has a purpose, then... I can be content. Not because my circumstances are, are just so, right? Contentment doesn't rely on our outside circumstances. Contentment is an attitude towards the Lord. We understand and accept uh, what God is doing. Gary, what did you say? The reason I started answering, uh, studying God's word, because everything everybody has said and that you have said is found in God's word. All the answers are there. The how is there. Our hearts need to be in God's word so he can direct us. That's how he does it. If your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. He gives us everything we need in God's word to deal with our circumstances, at work, play, you know, in marriages, in family. Everything is there. Yeah. The, the Bible is not, you know, a manual for life, but... When we consistently put our, our hearts in it and are in the word, uh, and not just to check a box, right, but because we're seeking to know the Lord, what's going to happen is we're going to be transformed. Our, our minds are going to be transformed, and we're going to find ourselves trusting God more. It's, it's the whole, what are you filling your mind with? If you fill it with, with worldly stuff, even if it's really good stuff, Right, really well-produced TV shows, or really beautiful movies, or art, or music—like these are good things that we can enjoy. But if that's all you fill yourself with, your mind is going to be 
conform to those things. And you're going to find yourself sometimes struggling to trust God. But when you're feeling yourself also with, this, with the Word of God and making that a priority, making that number one, uh, something that I'm sure every single one of us in this room will admit we need to do better, uh, we're going to find ourselves trusting God more. Right? The, the answer is, is often simple, uh, but still hard. It's still difficult to do this. And why? Because what does verse 7 say in, in Proverbs 3? Be not wise in your own eyes. If you were to look in the mirror and, and be honest with what you think of yourself, I bet you think that you're wise, that you have something to offer, that you have gifts and abilities and skills and talents, and you can think about things rightly. And that that is going to come out as not trusting God. Because when you are wise in your own eyes, you don't think you need God. You don't think you need to, to trust God. God is now become plan B when things go wrong. When things are going good, you're like, man, I, I'm good at this stuff. I'm good at work. I'm good at kids. I'm good at cooking and life and baking and, and going out and chopping wood and manly stuff and, and uh, feminine stuff and all that things. All those when we are putting our hope in those and everything's going well, it's a pride thing. We're not just trusting God when things go wrong. We're supposed to trust God when things are going right and acknowledge that. Because what, what Proverbs says, right, is God will make straight your paths when you acknowledge him. What is, what is a crooked path? Right? It's, it's a path that winds and goes around. It's more difficult, usually. Uh, and in Scripture, when something is crooked, it usually means it's, it's unrighteous. Something about it is broken. But what the Lord says is that if you acknowledge me, your path, your life, and what is happening will become more straight. And that doesn't just mean more clear, but it also means... You're, you will find yourself walking on the path that God has called you to walk more often. Not veering off, you know, following desires of the heart, following your own wisdom, but more and more you're finding yourself being able to, to stay on the path that God has called you to walk. It makes life easier. So if, if it makes life easier to trust God, what's the question? Why do we not do it? Why is it so hard? Why is it hard to trust God? Thoughts? John? It's because we don't know him. What do you mean? Yeah, trust becomes easier because we, are, we know who he is. If you don't know who God is, how are you going to treat him? He is a means to an end, right? Or he's, he's big brother who's going to come in when stuff is going wrong and he's going to help you and make things right. 
you've messed something up. You call on God. He's going to come and fix it. And then clap you on the back and say, you got this. Or you're going to think that God is, is distant. That he's uncaring. That it's really, it's on you and God is watching. And as soon as you mess up, right, he's going to step in and, and punish you. And so the things going wrong in your life are because of you. Because you messed up. Now, see how awful that is? Bo understands. That's an awful way to live. It's an awful way to treat God. Yeah, bud. <laughs> Poor guy. But when we know God, right, when we, when we understand who he is, how do you find out who he is, right? You read his word. You pray. You, you go to church. Partake of the means of grace. Uh, you start to understand who the Lord is. And that also means you start to understand who you are. You start to see, man, I'm not actually wise in my own eyes. I'm actually not that great. And I need God to, to treat me like a child who is just unable to do things on their own. Will. for the Lord. Yeah. So when we talk about work and rest in like 14 weeks, I don't know. I forget when I scheduled it. But when we talk about work and rest later, we're going to circle back to trust because that's really essential to why we rest and how we rest um, because we don't just rest in ourselves. We don't rest after we have done a hard day's work. It's, it's really fascinating to think about the shift from Saturday to Sunday, from the seventh day of rest to the first day of rest, and how that changes our, our week. We don't end with rest. We begin with rest. That's the gospel. Dave? Yeah, we, we definitely, it's an active thing to trust the Lord. It's not a passive, okay, I'm going to go sit on the couch and eat potato chips and God's going to take care of everything. Trust has to be active. Trust has to be committing your ways to the Lord. Not stop doing stuff and just go lie down and God's going to take care of it. Uh, and again, when we talk about work and rest, there's a, there's a wonderful passage, uh, Psalm 127, um, 
where it, it says that it's the Lord who's doing the work, but we are still involved. And it's, it's uh, really interesting to talk about, but we'll get there. Uh, just a little teaser for later. Yeah. That was, I had a head start on my packing. <laughs> so did you yeah. boxes for three months? <laughs> I wasn't that fast. <laughs> when she says she started packing, that was one box a month. <laughs> but it was an active, it was an active yeah. faith for me at that time. Yeah. You know, sometimes it, it looks like there's a roadblock, but you're like, this is what the Lord is calling me to do. I just need to live and to trust him. And... It, it will work out because God's in control, right? Like Masha and me coming here was an act of trust because we don't know what y'all are going to be like. We don't know what Olympia is going to be like. Uh, and obviously y'all are amazing and we love you. Um, but God had to force us to trust him, especially because we got here. We had a perfect apartment all lined up. We move in and it stinks like me, like weed, right? And we have to face the facts that God is calling us to trust him. Uh, even in the midst of disappointment, that he has a place for us, and we just need to wait. And that's that's hard. Um, it's hard because it's active, and because it's easy to either do everything yourself uh, or to shut your brain off. It's easy to just sit down, shut off your brain, and kind of fall into a despondency. Uh, and that's just not what the Lord calls us to do. John, did you have something to say? No, I was just reminding you again of the activity. Didn't we say that the activity of getting to know Jesus Christ leads us to who God the Father is? And that activity is, like Jerry was saying, being in the Word, being in the Scripture. So we yeah. get to know the God that we trust. Yeah. It's, you're going to see this with every virtue that we cover. How do we grow in it? Well, you don't get, much, you don't get very far until you start with the word. And there's, there's other ways that the Lord will work certain things out, that he'll grow us uh, in our daily lives, but it really it starts with the word. Uh, and it starts with the means of grace. used it because we needed to be there for her. So my son and I came back and it wasn't a day when we got back. Everything went through. Wow. He had his purpose for it. There was a hold on here because I'm doing this. Yeah. That's the way God works often. Yeah. You know, um, I have it in bold and I should have circled it like eight times because one of the ways that we trust the Lord is through submission. Right. We submit to his plans. Like 
you had to submit to, okay, we have to go here. He, my plans are we need a house. We need a place to live. We've got to get this figured out. God's plans are you wait on that. Here's what I'm doing over here, and you're needed here for a time. And submission is, is really integral to trust because if you're not submitting to the Lord, you're not trusting him. You're not relying on him. You are relying on someone or something else. But when you're in submission to the Lord, when you're saying with Jesus, your will be done, God, that is when your life, it starts, you start to see how God is working his purposes. He's working it in your heart, but he's also doing it in those around you. You start to see life is not about me. It's not about the things that I want to do and that I want to accomplish. It's about what God is going to accomplish. And often that means that we are being used for the good of someone else. And even sacrificing our goals and our dreams and our achievements in order to help someone else. Uh, and that takes trust. Because we have to trust that God is doing something. Uh, and that it's more important than what we want to do. Um, so we're going to, we could talk about the destruction of misplaced trust. Um, I'm just going to tell you to go read Isaiah. Um, you're going to see a lot of what it means to not trust the Lord and why that's destructive. Uh, like Isaiah 31. Woe to those who go down to Egypt and trust in their horses and then in their chariots. That is not salvation. Trusting in God is salvation. So go read Isaiah in its entirety or read the chapters 30 through 33-ish, somewhere around there, um, if you want to see the destruction of misplaced trust. But we're going to talk a little bit about the vices associated with trust. So if you remember last week we talked about courage. Um, there, were, there were two ways that you could go wrong with courage, two, two ways that courage could be misplaced. And I don't remember if I need to remember what they are. Clearly, I was listening to my own. Right, so there was, there was timidity, right? There was not having any courage at all, and there was presumption. Uh, a a self-confident, triumphalist, still can't say it, uh, way of courage where we, are, we, we presume that God is just going to do everything good for us and everything's going to be great. We just need to be courageous, um, and that leads us to plant our flags on tiny hills and be stubborn and uh, believe that we're the ones in the right, everyone else is in the wrong. But with trust, it's a similar way. There's, there's lots of ways that we could go wrong with trust, but there's two specific ways that miss the mark in either direction. Uh, what do you think they are? Sure, forgetting who God is. Yeah, we need to be reminded. But why, what happens when we're not reminded, when we forget who God is? Where, where does our brain go? To ourselves. To ourselves, okay. Yeah. Sure, we, we begin to depend on ourselves, or we could call that uh, being a control freak. Control becomes the vice that we live by. Um, because we forget who God is, 
We forget that God's in control, and thus we are in control. So we, we then look at our lives as I am in control, I am the one who has to do things, and I am going to you know, uh, conform life to my expectations. And I'm going to conform others to my expectations because it's my will that's going to have to be done. And by golly, I'm going to do it, even if it means running over other people because we believe that we're the ones fundamentally in control. Uh, we are the ones that others need to look to and submit to because we know what's going on. Right? It sounds similar to presumption a little bit, right? But this is more about a, a control of life, not trusting God and believing that everything is outside of your control, but instead trying to, to gather everything up and, and submit it to yourself and to your own ways of thinking, your own control. Why is that so wrong? Right? It forgets who God is, but how, does that, how is that fundamentally wrong? Definitely. Here's, here's God, and here's me. God's, God's important, you know. God can do things, and if things go wrong, I'll bring God in. But I'm the one in control. What else? If it elevates yourself above God, it means that God is not enough. And if you believe that God is not enough for your daily life, will you believe that he's enough for your salvation? No. No. Now salvation becomes your, something that you are in control of. I am the one who needs to save myself. My will be done. My works are most important. And so everything becomes about us. And obviously what happens, John, you said it, what happens inevitably when everything goes wrong, when everything slips out of our control, Start doubting God. You, you have nowhere else to go but crash into depression, despair, uh, hatred of others, hatred of yourself. Because obviously, things are out of your control, so that means someone's at fault. Maybe it's yourself, but usually what that looks like is it's other people's fault. If only everybody would listen to me. If only my kids would obey me. If only my spouse would submit to me more. Or if only my husband would leave me better. That is, that is where our minds go when we are trying to control everything. That's because of false expectations. We don't submit to the providence of God. And in the third chapter, I guess it is, in the Westminster Confession, that whatsoever comes to pass, he has ordained. Yesterday was a real hard day for me. I cried half the day. I'm sorry, Gary. And, and I'll show you how this works. This isn't how it's supposed to be. I was supposed to die first. That's how it was supposed to be. That's how I had in my mind. 
in God's providence and said, uh-uh, who's in charge here? Yeah. And often we don't realize our expectations. We don't realize they become an idol until God says, oh, actually, here's what's going to happen. And then what reaction do we have but to rage against God? That he has broken his, he's broken our expectations instead of submitting to the Lord. So if that's one direction, if that's how we uh, err in one way of trusting the Lord, that we, we become control freaks, so we try to control every aspect of our lives and submit it to ourselves, what's the other way? Maybe complacency, yeah. Totally, yeah. What? I don't have to do nothing. I can do whatever I want, and God's going to take care of it all, you know? I'm just going to go and live the life that I want to live. And it's okay, because I trust God. And God comes in and says, you can, you can say you trust me, but if you trusted me, you would be living different. Your life would not look like what it looks like. I think we could maybe put complacency underneath a different vice that's a little bit more broad uh, that I would call doubt. And it's not just me. It's scripture calls it doubt. Uh, specifically, James 1 uh, says of the doubter, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So you can kind of see how the doubter ends up complacent, that believing that God's going to you know, do everything. But when you're doubting the Lord and not trusting him, should you expect God to, do, to, to fill in all the mistakes that you are intentionally making? God doesn't want us to live like that. He wants us to live in trust and an active trust. But the one who doubts uh, has no foundation to stand upon. The one who doubts does not believe that God's in control or believes that God is in control in the way I want him to be in control. That I can do whatever I want, but in reality, the way that you are feeling life is you're just a ship tossed by the random currents of life instead of saying the situation that I'm in is for God's purpose and I don't live for myself. I live for God. And that's, that's the attitude uh, that Christ has. Right? Christ did not believe he was in control of everything. Even though he was the creator of the universe, the people that he talked to were his people, his creations. But what did he do is he wiped their feet. He served them. And he said to God, your will be done. And even though he went through intense pain and suffering and even asked the Lord, pass this cup from me. Not once did he doubt that what he was doing was not for himself, but that God would get him through it. That is the attitude of trust. Jesus Christ trusts in God and putting himself out on the cross 
for the sake of others. May the Lord give us that heart and that mind to submit ourselves to him in, in every thought that we have every day uh, with everything that we do. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we come before you, we give thanks that you are in control. If we were in control, Lord, we would end up as dictators over our lives, or we would be like ships tossed to and fro with no foundation, no stability. But Lord, you give us refuge. You give us safety. You give us peace to know that you are the one directing, organizing, and guiding everything. Help us to trust you. Help us to give ourselves to you, to submit our lives and our thoughts uh, and our gifts to you. Now we might use them not for our glory, not for our will, but for yours. Guide us, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.